I would invite you to take your Bible or the Bible in the chairs around you and turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 10. If you're using the red Bibles, the page number for you is printed there in the bulletin. As we continue our summer series looking at various parables in the book of Luke, uh, today we're coming to Jesus' well-known parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. I invite you to read along as I read from Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25, down through verse 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, that's Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this. And you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii. And gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Let's pray together. Father, help us to feel the weight of Jesus' words here. Help us to feel the weight of your word. And as we do, show us the gospel of your grace. Lift the weight from our shoulders and motivate us to go and do likewise. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I read about an interesting study that was done uh, in the 1970s by a couple of psychologists at Princeton University. They gathered together a group of seminary students. Now, these were seminary students. They were students preparing uh, to be in vocational ministry. And back in the 70s, almost all seminary students were training to be pastors and missionaries and preachers. So they gathered this group of seminary students and they put them in a building and they had them do various tasks. And then they took each student and they explained to the student that they had one final task that they were going to give them to do, but it was in the building next door. 
They took each student and some of them were told that the task that they were going to have was to prepare a talk on the parable of the Good Samaritan that they would give to their professors in the next building. Another group of, of the students were told that their final task was to give a talk to the professors in the building next door about what seminary life had been like for them. Some of the students were given plenty of time to prepare. Other students were given very little time to prepare and were told that they needed to rush to get to their meeting next door. Then each student, one by one, was sent to the building next door. On the way, each student came across a man who was slumped over in an alleyway, groaning in pain and asking for help. Who would stop to help? Well, we would like to say that and hope that all of them would stop and help. After all, these were seminary students, right? And at the very least, at least all of the ones who had just prepared a talk on the parable of the Good Samaritan would stop. But unfortunately, only 40% of the students stopped, only 4 in 10, to see if they could help the man. Mainly because they were in too much of a hurry or too focused on getting to the building to accomplish their task. I wonder, can you relate? Has there ever been a time when you've been on your way to do something, you are doing something, and you see somebody that's in need, somebody that needs some help, and you pass on by? I've done that. I'm guessing most of us in this room have had that experience as well. This is one of Jesus' best known parables. It is likely the case that there's nobody here today, nobody online, who's hearing this parable for the first time today. And yet, why is it so hard for us to actually live like what Jesus says in this parable? Perhaps the reason is because we don't have the right motivation. We don't have the right motivation to go out and live a life of selfless love and service to others. So today we're going to look and see how Jesus motivates us to live a life like is described here in this parable. We're going to look at three things. First of all, we're going to look at the questions that the lawyer asks of Jesus and then we're going to look at the, the story, the parable that Jesus tells in response to the man's questions. And then we'll come to the so what, the takeaways. So first of all, the questions. Now, Jesus uh, in chapter 10 had been out teaching and ministering and the disciples were around him. And apparently there was a crowd around him, some others that were around him, because we read in verse 25 that a lawyer stood up and began to address Jesus. Now, when we hear the word lawyer... Uh, we think of uh, somebody that uh, we hire, uh, going to have an estate plan drawn up, or if we're being accused of something and we have to go to court and we have somebody represent us. We, we think of a person in that kind of a, of a civil law kind of situation, but that's not who this was. In this context, a lawyer was someone who, who was an expert, someone who had been trained in religious or biblical law. This was a religious scholar. That's who's talking to Jesus. And notice we read that he stood up to put Jesus to the test. 
That was his motive. He was trying to test Jesus. Now, why would he want to test Jesus? What was he trying to test him about? Well, if you know a little bit about the context of first century and Jesus, the religious scholars, the, the Old Testament biblical scholars of the day didn't like Jesus too much. Jesus interacted with a lot of sinners, people that the religious experts thought they're breaking the law, they're breaking the Torah. And yet here's Jesus interacting with them, eating with them, going to their homes, healing them, forgiving them. They didn't think much of Jesus. They would have thought Jesus was too loose with the law. So this lawyer stood up and tried to put Jesus to the test. He tried to trap Jesus. And so he asked him a question. The question's in verse 25. A lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now that's a really great question. It's one of the most important questions that we can ever ask in our lives. And when he asked that question, he was probably expecting Jesus to say something like, well, just be a good person, do the best you can, because God accepts everyone no matter how they live. But how did Jesus respond? He responds in verse 26 with a great answer. He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He puts the question back to the lawyer. He says, you're the Old Testament scholar. You're the expert in Old Testament law. How do you read it? How would you summarize the law? And the man responds correctly by quoting from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. We see that in verse 27. He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. The man nailed it on, its, on the head. He got it exactly right. We are to love the Lord with every part of our being. With every aspect of who we are. To the very core of our souls. We are to love the Lord God. And we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus actually says that those two things are the summary of all the law and the prophets. This man got it exactly right. And that's what Jesus told him. You got it right. Now go do that and you'll live. Wonder how we would have felt if we were there in that moment and Jesus said that to us. You want to have eternal life? You want to be with me in heaven for all eternity? Here's all you have to do. You have to love God perfectly, never once varying in your love for Him. And you have to love your neighbors as much as you love and care for your own self. You feel the weight? The lawyer must have felt the weight of that. Because notice what he did in verse 29. He asked the second question. Desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus... And who is my neighbor? The man was having a moment of honesty. He knew that the requirement that Jesus had just laid down for eternal life was impossible for his, this man to achieve. So what did he do? Well, he tried to find a loophole. He tried to bring the standard down so that it would be reachable to limit 
who his neighbors were. He, he must have been thinking, if I can limit who my neighbors are to people like my friends, my family, uh, people who are like me, then maybe there's a chance that I can actually do what Jesus is saying that I am supposed to do if I'm going to have eternal life. And Jesus answers the man's question about who, the neighbor, who his neighbor is by telling a story. The parable is given to us in verses 30 through 35. And Jesus begins the parable by saying that there was a man. Now, when we read that, it doesn't really necessarily, uh, we're not in the context. So it, just point out the fact that this, given the context, given who he's talking to, when Jesus said that there was this man, it would have been assumed by everybody who was listening to the story that this man was a Jewish man. And he says that this man was on a road from Jerusalem to Jericho. At that time, there was just one main road that went between those two towns. And it was well known, a very well known road. It was a dangerous road. It was difficult to travel. There were steep declines. There were narrow passageways. There were lots of cliffs and culverts. There were places where thieves could hide and ambush people. And one section of the road was so well known as in that, being that dangerous that it actually was called the Way of Blood because of all of, uh, all of the, the times that people were accosted there. Now, in Jesus' story, he takes this historical place and he puts it into the story so that it makes sense to the people who were listening it but in Jesus's story he says that this man was attacked as he was on the road he was stripped he was beaten and then he was left half dead and Jesus says there were two people that came by there was a there was a priest and there was a levite these were both religious leaders of the day they probably were returning from Jerusalem to their homes in Jericho after they had served in the temple that day. Perhaps helping in the sacrifices or the worship or maybe even giving out alms to those who were in need. And I want you to notice in verses 31 and 32, Jesus makes a point to say, to say that both of these men, the priest and the Levite, saw the man. Each of them saw him. They saw him. And then they both walked to the other side of the road and passed by the man. Now, Jesus doesn't give the reasons why the priest and the Levite did that. It could have been they were uh, afraid that they knew the kind of danger that was on that road. And here was a man that had already had run into some thieves. Maybe they're still around. And so they were just careful for their own safety. Or maybe it was that they didn't want to become unclean. Maybe the man looked like he was dead. And they risked the... The, the possibility of touching a dead body and then becoming unclean and not being able to do their services the next day in the temple. And Jesus doesn't tell us why, but he does, he does tell us that there's a third person that came by in verse 33. And Jesus says this man was a Samaritan. Notice the Samaritan saw the hurt man too, but he had compassion on him. Now this third person, the Samaritan, comes by. He has compassion on the man and he stopped. He stopped to help him and he did so at great cost to himself. It cost him, it could have cost him, him physically. Still on that dangerous road, thieves could still be nearby. It did cost him financially. 
He took some of his own uh, possessions to help the man to bandage his wounds and to, to pour some oil and, and wine on the wounds to help, help uh, bring them to health. And then he actually took money out of his own pocket to pay for the man to be able to be cared for at the inn. It certainly cost him time and convenience as well. He obviously was going somewhere and he had to stop his trip to, to help this man. He went out of his way and notice the text tells us that he took care of him. And notice it says at the beginning of verse 35, he took care of him and then the next day was when he gave the innkeeper the money. This man spent the night caring for the needs of this hurt Jewish man. Now, again, we're not in this context, but we have to understand this would have been absolutely shocking to the lawyer. It would have, he would have been standing there stunned. It, a Samaritan helped him? During that time, Jews and Samaritans hated each other. It was a long-standing hatred going back hundreds of years. Samaritans were considered lesser human beings, racially inferior. They had also developed their own version of God's law and they had set up their own center of worship. So Israelites considered Samaritan heretics, sinners, as well as racially inferior. And the Samaritans didn't like the Israelites much better than that either. So by the time Jesus finished this story, the lawyer would have been standing there shocked. Jesus finishes the parable in verse 36 with a question to the lawyer. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Did you notice what Jesus did there? Jesus flipped the question on the lawyer. Go back to verse 29 and look at the question that the lawyer came to Jesus and asked. He asked, who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, at the end, he, took to, he looked to the man and he asked him, which of these men proved to be a neighbor to the hurt man? This was a brilliant, masterful question that Jesus did. Not, how can I limit who my neighbors are, but how can I be a neighbor to anyone in my path who's in need? Notice that the lawyer once again answered Jesus' question correctly in verse 37. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus ended the conversation with those heavy words. You go and do likewise. What do we do with all of this? What are the takeaways for us today? Well, let's... Let's talk about the obvious one first, shall we? We must be a good neighbor. Jesus' words to the lawyer at the end of the story are words to us as well. You go and do likewise. We are being called to be a good neighbor. To go out and be like the Samaritan in the story. That means that we're being called to be good neighbors even when it's going to cost us something. Cost our time, cost our convenience, our possessions, our finances. We're being called to be a good neighbor to anyone in need that the Lord puts in our path. Anyone that's made in the image of God. Even if it's somebody we don't like. 
Even if it's somebody that's not like us. Even if it's somebody that we think doesn't deserve it. Jesus in the story is telling us that we shouldn't limit the extent that we are supposed to go to to be a good neighbor. We shouldn't limit the who. That's why Jesus put two Israelites and a Samaritan in the story as the people who came by. He's saying it's not just people who are like you, people you feel comfortable around, people that you like associating with. We're not to limit the who that we are a good neighbor to. We're also not supposed to limit the when. One of the commentators I was looking at this past week said that the Samaritan in the story, if the story had actually happened, this is obviously a made-up story that Jesus is telling, but if if that scenario had actually happened, the Samaritan coming upon this hurt Jewish man surely would have assumed that the man didn't deserve his help. He probably would have gone up to him and said, See, this is what you get. This is what you deserve. Jesus is telling us to be careful about thinking that we only help people that we think deserves it. He's also telling us to be careful about limiting the how much. The Samaritan risked a whole lot by stopping and helping this man. That's the call. That's the call of being a good neighbor. I hope you're starting to see and to feel the weight of what Jesus is saying to us here. The magnitude of what he is saying, how enormous it is. This is what being a good neighbor looks like. This is the call. This is what we are supposed to do. Go out and do likewise, Jesus says to every single one of his people. You feel that weight? Do you feel the guilt? If we're honest, we should realize we can't be a good neighbor like we're being called to do. That's the second takeaway. We can't be a good neighbor like we're supposed to. And it's especially true when we remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. As he was speaking about what it means to be a neighbor. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, You have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We are called to be neighbors, not only to the people we like, but even to our enemies. And we have to do it perfectly, he says. And we feel the weight again as we come back to the passages that we read earlier in the service from Paul and James. Paul in Galatians 3, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. James says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. The standard is not just trying our best. The standard is not just doing the best that we can and making a good effort. The standard is perfection. The very well-known commentator on the parables, Kenneth Bailey, put it this way. 
I must become a neighbor to anyone in need. To fulfill the law means that I must reach out in costly compassion to all people, even to my enemies. The standard remains, even though I can never fully achieve it, I cannot justify myself and earn eternal life. Jesus was driving this lawyer to the undoing of himself. He was driving this lawyer to the undoing of himself in order that he might fully be able to embrace the gospel. It's kind of fun to think about what it would have been like if when Jesus earlier in the story was interacting with the lawyer and the lawyer says, what do I have to do to earn eternal life? And then the lawyer quotes from the Old Testament that you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. It would have been interesting had the lawyer at that point, instead of trying to justify himself, just cried out to Jesus and say, I can't do that. Because then he would have heard the gospel. That's the third takeaway how we can be a good neighbor. It's only as we come to see our inability to actually live as the good neighbor that we are required to be, that we can fully start to understand the good news of the gospel and the extent of God's grace to us, and then have the right motivation to actually live the life that we're supposed to live. Jesus could have told this story by making the man who got robbed and beaten the Samaritan. And the third man who came along, who stopped and helped, a religious expert, a lawyer. He could have told the story to the lawyer by saying, a man just like you came along and stopped and helped a Samaritan. If Jesus had done that, the lawyer probably would have just rolled his eyes and dismissed Jesus as ridiculous and crazy. No Israelite would ever do that. But that's not what Jesus did. He basically asked the lawyer, what if you were the hurt man? What if you were lying on the ground and in need of help and the only way that you could be rescued and helped is by the free grace and mercy of someone that you consider an enemy? Someone who doesn't owe you anything. And brothers and sisters in Christ, that's exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us. We were in need. We weren't just left half dead by thieves. We were completely dead in our sins. And Jesus saw us. And He stopped. And He has compassion on us. Romans 5 says that for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Jesus took care of our need. He took care of our sin. And it was at a great cost to himself. It was his own life in exchange for ours. He gave up his life on the cross to pay our debt of sin and then to credit us Credit our accounts with His perfect righteousness. And once we, once we begin to get that into the depths of our souls, that Jesus is the ultimate good neighbor to us, 
Once we begin to see the extent of God's loving grace to us, then we will begin to have the motivation and the power to actually go out and do likewise. To be good neighbors to others. How much was Jesus a good neighbor to you? To what extent was Jesus a good neighbor for you? As we begin to get that and understand that, then we can go do the much easier task of being good neighbors to everybody that the Lord puts in our path. Let me just end with a few practical recommendations, suggestions, examples of ways that we can try to do that this coming week or in the next couple of weeks. Elder Nyman prayed about this earlier in the service, but with the Dobbs ruling by the Supreme Court this past week, we need to be ready to be good neighbors. That means we need to be praying for and giving financially to New Life Family Services, praying for their protection and for there to be no violence, as there has been in other places around the country with places like New Life. We need to be praying for and supporting ministries like Together for Good here in our community, coming alongside of women who have chosen not to abort babies and need help. We need to be praying for and supporting people within our own church family and within our community who have or who will be adopting or fostering children. We need to be ready. We need to be proactively looking for ways to be good neighbors in those ways. Another possible thing you could think about is, and I recognize that dealing with panhandlers on the road is a little bit tricky. We know for a fact that some of them are using it for bad purposes. And of course, we don't want to enable that kind of thing happening. But what if, what if you packed a few gift bags of toiletries and groceries and maybe a gas card and even, even a Bible and then kept those gift bags in your car and when you see someone, go up and give it to them. Maybe even pray for them. Another way you might try to work this out into your life is for you, your, yourself, or maybe your family or the small group that you're in. Spend some time volunteering at the Landing or the Rochester Community Warming and Cooling Center or the Salvation Army Food Kitchen. And another way you could do it is simply just keeping your eyes open when you come to church on Sunday. Looking for someone who might be on the fringes, somebody who looks discouraged, someone that might be having a difficult time. Keeping your eyes up and looking intentionally. And then moving toward them. Not seeing them and crossing the other way and passing by. But asking how you could help. Listening to them, praying with them, helping them to get whatever help they might need. Those are just a few ideas for you to consider. The question is, how are you going to go and follow Jesus' words to go and do likewise? We have to see the grace of our Savior. We have to see that He is the ultimate good neighbor that we needed, who gave up everything for us and proved Himself to be the neighbor that we needed. And with that understanding in our hearts and our minds, have the motivation to go out and do likewise with the much easier task of being a good neighbor to anybody who's in need that the Lord puts on our path. Let's pray together.
Father, this is such a beloved parable known by not only so many people in the church, but so many people who are outside of the church in the community. And so I pray, Father, that we would dig deeper, more deeply into it, that you would rend our hearts with the truth, even with the weightiness of what Jesus, has said, what Jesus says here. But Father, also help us to see the wonderful message of the gospel and use that to motivate and to empower us. I would pray boldly, Father, for all of us here today and those of us online, that in this coming week you would give us an opportunity to be a good neighbor to somebody else. Help us to look for that opportunity. Help us to see it. And Father, in that moment, help us to take steps that actually move toward the person in need. We ask that you would do this because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.